Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. Uh, so for the last several weeks, we've been in a series entitled, A Life Guided by the Word. And we've been looking at the truth that the Bible is the greatest tool for the believer to live a life that is honoring and glorifying to God. Within, within the pages of the Bible, we find God's principles for every, every area of our life and every problem that we face, every trial that we go through, the answers to how to have a successful marriage, to how to raise God-honoring kids, to how to run your finances, to how to deal with, with depression and anxiety and hurt and pain. All these things that we face and all these problems that we go through, God has the answers for us in the Word of God. But the Bible is more than just an answer book. Uh, I remember several years ago, I was talking to my mom, and of course, you know, my mom's Jehovah's Witness, and uh, our relationship when we talk about God has been tenuous at times, uh, mainly because I had a whole lot of zeal and not a whole lot of knowledge when I was young and made some stupid th- mistakes and said some stupid things. And so as, we, as I've grown and matured, uh, whenever I've talked to her, it's not been argumentative, but I'm really kind of questioning, like, Mom, well, Mom, why do you think about that? What, you know, what, do you, what do you think about this, and why do you think about that? And we were talking about, um, I can't remember what subject we were talking about, but we were talking about something spiritual, and I asked her, I says, well, well, what do you think about that? And she goes, I don't know, hold on, let me, I'll be right back. And she, she went to her bedroom, and she came back, and she had a book that was put out by the Watchtower Society that says, The Answer Book. And she said, any time, they told us that any, any question that, a, that someone would ask us, the answer would be found in here. And so she would flip through the index, find the question, flip to the paragraph that had the answer, and say, oh, well, this is what I believe. And I'm like, well, well, why do you believe that? Because this book tells me to. And she could never wrap her mind around the fact that that's just totally unscriptural and totally ridiculous. And so that's, that's not what the Bible is. The Bible isn't an answer book for people to come to you and say, well, what about this? Okay, let me look at the index, find the question, here's the answer. Does it have the answers for our life in there? Of course it does. But it is more than that in the life of the believer. Uh, the Bible is our guide through life. You know, David, in Psalms 119, he said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God, David said, is, is to illuminate the path of life that we're walking down. The world is full of dangers for the believer. There are stumbling blocks. There are situations that can harm our relationship with God, can harm our relationship with other believers. And the Word of God is there to help guide us through those dangerous areas. It lights our path so we can see the danger. In 1804, 
Lewis and Clark were commissioned to explore the new land that had been uh, acquired by Thomas Jefferson through the Louisiana Purchase. And the land that they had had, uh, had uh, bought from the French uh, was very large and it was vast, and there wasn't a whole lot known about it. As a matter of fact, the maps of the day uh, just knew where the land went on and it ended somewhere. And they didn't know where somewhere was. Uh, matter of fact, you look at some of the maps, you're like, oh, well, the land ends where the Mississippi runs into the Pacific. Well, the Mississippi doesn't run into the Pacific, but they didn't know that. And so Lewis and Clark were, were commissioned by the government to explore this land and map this land and, and kind of figure out exactly what was out there. But a lot was, was not, not a lot was known about the land, but they knew it was going to be dangerous. So they prepared. They studied the few maps that were available to them, and they they plotted out what they thought their course would be, but they knew that they were going to run into things that they weren't prepared for. They were going to face problems that they couldn't foresee. They knew that they would be traveling through unexplored and uncharted land that was full of animals they knew nothing about. They'd never met a grizzly bear yet, and so they knew there was a lot of animals they would run into that they knew nothing about. They, they knew that there was going to be Native Americans in the land that they had not met and didn't know them, and it could be very dangerous. And so they decided they needed a guide to help them navigate the dangerous terrain and the dangerous situation. So they chose Sacagawea. She was a Native American woman, and she knew many of the languages of the people that she might that they might run across. She'd never been out there either, but she was familiar with nature and with land and with tracking and things like that. So they chose her to be their guide. She was familiar with living in nature, and she could help them avoid any dangers on the trail. Plus, She was a woman who had a small child, so they figured they would appear less threatening to anyone that they came across. That's how God's Word acts in our lives. It is meant to guide us through the threats of this world that we face. It is there to help us navigate the uncertainties and the trials that we're not familiar with. It is meant to be a guide to us. Look again at what Paul says about the Word of God in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And that's, that's what we've been looking at these last several weeks. How the Word of God is profitable. How it is good for us. How it is necessary for us. And Paul says, The Word of God is beneficial. The Word of God is profitable to us. Uh, it's profitable for doctrine. That, of course, we said was learning about the character of God. Learning about how God feels about things and how God acts in certain situations. And we, we learn about how, how God handles things by learning about doctrine. We looked at Hagar and where she had been run off by Abraham and Sarah and God came to her. And, and she said, now that I've experienced God, I know that God sees me. And as by studying that story of the Word of God... We learn that God is always with us and God always sees us and God's always involved in our lives. And so it is profitable for us to learn about the character of God for reproof, 
for seeing our sin, for looking at our life and seeing the Word of God and saying, well, this, this what, what I'm doing, what I'm, how I'm acting, what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, it doesn't line up with the Word of God. And so we see our sin for reproof, for correction. Of course, we saw last week that was repentance, where we, we not only see our sin, but we confess our sin and then make make active steps to turn from our sin and turn back to a right relationship with God. You know, confession without repentance is is just putting us in a vicious cycle of sin where we're destined to commit the same sin over and over and over again. And we really got to get our minds set on what, you know, on sin. Because when I talk about, you know, you get stuck in a cycle of sin, most of the time we think about the big sins, you know, the big, not murder, of course, because none of us would murder, mostly. Sometimes we feel like it, but we would never probably actually go through with it. And so we're not talking about murder, but, you know, we're talking about lust and pornography and drug addiction. And we're like, oh, man, yeah, I, I've, I've conquered. And, you know, some of us have struggled with those things. I've told you all before, my, I did not have a good father growing up. I did not have a godly father. I had a wicked father. Uh, and he, he got me addicted to pornography as a, as a 12-year-old boy. And so that was a struggle I had most uh, well, all my teen years and a lot of my early adulthood that I had to struggle with and fight with. And I would always, you know, go to God and confess my sin, but never really do anything about it. And, and just constantly this battle that I'm dealing with. And so finally, through the help of God and the grace of God, I was able to, to I don't want to say beat that sin, but control that sin where it's something I don't struggle with anymore. I say, how? Because I make it very impossible to get to anything. But I've, I've, I've kind of gotten control of that sin. And so we think of those sins like, oh man, we conquer those big sins. But we, we forget about the little sins that are still big to God. You know, worry is a sin. You know, God said, be, don't be anxious for anything. Don't worry about a thing. So if we worry about anything, that's a sin. But we don't look at it as a sin. And we need to get real that that's a sin. That we need to confess, repent of, and figure out a way how to Keep that sin from taking over our lives. And the word of God leads us to say, well, how do, I, how do I conquer worry? Because we have to get to the point where we trust God for everything. You know, everything we face, the good, the bad, the ugly, the hurtful, the, the wonderful, the joy, the pain, it's all through the, the filter of a loving heavenly father who is in control and knows what's best for you and has the best in store for you. So all we can do is trust him. And say, God, I don't know why you're doing this. I don't like that you're doing this. But I trust, trust you're doing it for my good. And we have to get to that point. That's an easy place to get to? No. No, no, no. That's a hard place to get to. But the Word of God helps us realize our sin and see our wrong and say, God, I've got to start living, I've got to start living that way and start trusting you more. You know, so the Word of God leads us to see our sin, leads us to repent of our sin. But then we're going to finish up what he talks about today. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for instruction in righteousness. The, the word instruction there is the Greek word paideia. Now, it, it is translated in other parts of the Bible as the word chastisement. But it's, it's, it's more than that. You know, when we think of chastisement, we think of, of punishment. You know, if somebody does something wrong, you get punished for it. 
Uh, you know, your kids, they, they mess up, they do something wrong, you, you punish them for it. You ground them, you take away technology, you waterboard them, whatever works for your kid. You do what you got to do in this day and age, and so you punish your kid. You get a speeding ticket, you get, a, you, you get, get caught speeding, you get a ticket, that's, that's punishment. You think, well, that's, that's chastisement. That's not what the word means. You know, the word padia has a deeper meaning than just chastisement or just punishment. It means training for the purpose of education. The, the, the word of God trains us sometimes through chastisement, but it trains us and teaches us how to live a righteous life. It is the, the connotation is how parents raise their children. There are times when children need to be chastened. They do something wrong. They have to be corrected because of it. And if it is done correctly, it's not meant for punishment. Because here's the thing we have to understand. As a child of God, God doesn't punish you for your sin, because your sin, the punishment has been paid when Jesus died on the cross. So if Jesus, God were to punish you for your sin, he's punishing you for sin that's already been punished for. So he doesn't punish you as his child, he chastens you. Chastening isn't meant to hurt, chastening is meant to correct and change behavior and train people. That's why as a parent, that's how you should chasten your kids. You shouldn't just wail on them because you feel like wailing on them. I mean, look, I get it. Sometimes you just want to wail on them. But that's not why we punish them. We punish them or chasten them to train them not to do the wrong thing. You know, it's like you have a toddler. And your toddler goes to stick a penny in an electrical socket. A good mother who sees that will take the penny, smack the child, say no. Why does she smack the child's hand? To teach them not to stick stuff in electrical sockets. Does the smacking of the hand hurt? Yes. But not as bad as getting shot by 110 volts. So you're, you're chastening to keep them from danger, to teach them what they should and should not do. And that's how God ch ch chastens us. That's how the Word of God trains us. That's what God does in the life of the believer. He chastens us to train us, to teach us, to correct us, to instruct us how to live for him. In fact, God only teaches his children through the word and through chastisement. He doesn't teach anyone else. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 6, For who the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son who receives. Proverbs three twelve: For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as the Father, the Son, in whom, he in whom he delights. So the Word of God trains us through sometimes chastening, sometimes just through, through correction and seeing the Word of God, but it trains us and teaches us in righteousness. <clears throat> but God uses more than just chastisement to, to correct us. He uses the Word of God. So today... As we finish this series, let's see how the Word of God instructs us in righteousness. First thing we notice is we have training from the Word. The truth is this training from the Word goes hand in hand with the rest of the benefits that Paul mentioned. You can't have this one 
without the others. I mean, look at them again. Verse 16. All scriptures give inspiration of God and is profitable for what? For doctrine. For learning about the character of God. For reproof. For seeing your sinfulness. For correction. For leading you to repentance. As we learn the doctrine of God, as we learn the character of God, as we learn the principles of God, we see our sinfulness. As we we learn doctrine, we get reproof. As we learn of God, we see that where we fall short in, in how God expects us to live. And when we when we see our sinfulness, we've learned about God. We've seen our sinfulness. When we see our sinfulness, it leads us to godly sorrow. And look, here's another side note. There's a vast difference between godly sorrow and guilt. Guilt leads to shame, which leads to hiding, which leads away from God. Guilt is a trap of the devil to make you feel guilty for what you've done. God never gives us guilt. God gives us godly sorrow where we are sorry for what we did, not because we got caught. You know, our kids, when they ever get caught in something, you're like, well, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, are you sorry you did it or sorry I busted you? Uh, there we go. You're sorry you got busted. That's not godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is seeing your sinfulness and understanding what your sin does to your relationship with God. Understanding what your sin does to God. And you have godly sorrow because of it. And that, that sorrow then leads to repentance. A change of direction from how we were living to living in fellowship with God. And that repentance leads us to learn how to live a life that avoids the sin we struggled with before. So doctrine, learning about God, leads to reproof which leads to correction, which leads to instruction in righteousness. We have to have all these things together to get all the benefits. You can't just say, well, I'm just going to take the instruction in righteousness from the Word of God and leave everything else. No, no, no. They all work hand in hand. They go together to teach us how to live a life in fellowship with God. The Word trains us to live a life that is honoring to God, and we do that by learning from the Word of God how God lived. You know, Peter reminds us that God says, Be holy, for I am holy. A lot of times we take that verse, and again, we we try to do it ourselves. Well, Peter said, Be holy, because God's holy, so what do I have to do to be holy? And we have these lists that we go through, but in our own efforts, in our own abilities, in our own work, we can never be holy. Now, look, God sees you as holy. Once you're a child of God, God sees you as holy. God sees you as righteous. He sees you as holy and as righteous as the child of God. But we, we can never live up to that standard in our own efforts. God's holiness is his essence. See, it's not something he does. It's who he is. He is holy. As believers... God sees us as holy because the holiness of Christ is credited to our account when we accept his death, burial, and resurrection as payment for our sins. When we trust what he did to pay for our salvation, we put our faith and trust in that. We receive his holiness and his righteousness because of what he did, and God sees us as holy and righteous. 
Not by what we have done, but through his death, burial, and resurrection. God sees us as holy. But the problem is, we still struggle with sin. Every believer who's still breathing struggles with sin. I don't care who you are. Now look, your sin may be different than my sin. And you may think your sin is not as bad as my sin. But that just means you're dealing with the sin of pride, which is the worst sin. Boom, got you there. And so we all think, well, I've got my sin, he's got their sin, and their sin's not as bad. But we all have a struggle with that old flesh, that old heart. As I said, when you, when you accept Christ as your Savior, the old nature, the sin nature is gone, but the heart's still there. You still got that heart, which is, all, which is deceitful and desperately wicked and prone to wander. And so we're going to struggle with that until we see God face to face. And so we, we are seen as righteous, we are seen as holy, but we still struggle with sin. And while God doesn't punish us because of our sin, we still have, you know, sin still hurts. Sin hurts our fellowship with God. The Bible says in Psalm 66, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Iniquity is unconfessed and unrepentant sin. When we have sin in our life, even though God sees us as holy and righteous, and if we died in that moment, we'd be with the Lord in heaven, when we have sin in our life, our fellowship with God is broken. God doesn't hear us. And that is the saddest place to be in the life of the believer. Where God, where you, you pray and you feel like your prayers aren't getting anywhere. You read the Bible and you just, it's just words. You go to church and people are singing the songs and you're looking around and people are raising their hands and praising God and so you do the same thing because you want to look good but you don't feel it. Preacher preaches a sermon and you're like, I just, that does nothing for me. Why? Because you're living in sin, you're letting that sin rule your life and so God says, well, as long as you're going to live in sin, our fellowship's going to be broken. If you stay in that position too long, you can get yourself in a whole lot of, lot of trouble. Some of, the, some of the worst people are backslidden Christians who have gotten away from God and just done worse and worse things to, to, to stop the Holy Spirit from convicting them and correcting them, and they're living out of God. But our broken fellowship with God hurts him. And this, this fellowship, it hurts him and it hurts us. But sin in our life also hurts the mission of God. When the world sees us abuse grace, and that's what living in sin is, and, and not living in a, a repentant life and a life where you're confessing your sin regularly and repentant of your sin whenever it happens, but when the world sees us abuse grace, it hurts the cause of Christ. It weakens our witness for them. And look, Paul was one of the, the biggest grace preachers ever because he had experienced the grace of God. But he also, he said, hey, we can't, should we let, because we have grace, should we let sin abound? God forbid. He says, just because we live, we have God's grace doesn't mean we get to live a sinful life, do whatever we want to do. That hurts the mission of God. And the word doesn't teach us how to be righteous because we already have the righteousness of Jesus appointed to us. The Word of God teaches us how to live righteously because it teaches us how to live like Jesus did because it, we see His life in Scripture. And as we get in the Word, 
we see where we don't act like Jesus. We confess our sin, we repent of our sin, and we change to live like him. So we see the training from the word. But what's the purpose of the training? Paul finishes his, his thoughts on the profitability of the word of God in verse 17. Look what he says in verse 17. That the man of God, and we talked about this the first week, that phrase, man of God, I was all, when I was in Bible college, people, I mean, people would use this, and man, that's for the man of God. You know, you men of God, you preachers. It, it literally means child of God. So it's not just for preachers and missionaries, and it's, it's for anybody who's a child of God. Who's a child of God tonight? It's for you, okay? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, Paul uses two Greek words here to describe what the Word of God does when we allow it to, to do these things, when we allow the doctrine and the reproof and the correction and the instruction of righteousness, we allow it to, to be a part of our life and we allow the Word of God to lead us through those things. Paul uses two words to describe what it does in the child the life of the believer. The first word is, the, is translated perfect, that the Word of God may be, man of God may be perfect, is the Greek word artios. It means complete or perfect. I know I gave you a deep meaning there, but so the word perfect means complete or perfect. The second word is, is translated throughly furnished. Again, it's not thoroughly furnished. It's throughly furnished. And it's the Greek word ex artizo. It means complete or finished. So Paul used two words that mean the exact same thing. That the word of God, the man of God may be complete, and they can be complete. Why? Why use two words that mean the exact same thing? To drive home how equipped the word of God makes us. He says you will be mature, you will be perfect, you will be complete, you will be finished in what God's doing for you. Again, look at what it says. That furnished unto all good works. He's, he's completing us and finishing us and, and perfecting us so that we can be, can be prepared for the works he has for us to do. We cannot live a life as a mature believer, one who walks in fellowship with God without the word of God. The word of God completes us by showing us the character of God. The Word of God completes us or finishes us by showing us our sin. The Word of God completes us by leading us to repentance and training us in righteousness. The Word of God is the most important tool for the believer. As we read it, as we study it, the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to change us. So if we don't make the Word of God a daily part of our walk with God, we will continue to struggle in our relationship with God. Simple as that. We'll go to heaven, children of God. We'll go to heaven when we die, but while we're on earth, we'll continue to struggle with that relationship with God. God didn't give us his word to bind in nice leather and leave it home until Sunday or like some people do, leave it at church until Sunday and only read it on Sunday. He gave us the word of God to use it in our daily 
lives. He didn't give it to us just to use when we were in crisis. He gave it to be a regular part of our walk with him. That's why Jesus said man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The child of God is to live on a steady diet of the word of God. Without that, we're spiritually starving. And look, in today's culture, today's society, it is easier than ever to feast on the Word of God. Now look, it's more than just reading a few minutes in the morning. And that's your day. How many of y'all eat breakfast only every day? No. You eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. If you're like me, you eat breakfast, brunch, lunch, dinner, dinner, Late night snack, early breakfast, second snack, second lunch. I mean, you eat throughout the day, don't you? You're eating meals, you're, you're snacking, you stop by the convenience store and you get you a drink and a little Debbie cake or something. You, you go home and you eat some chips. You, you're eating physically throughout the day. But yet you, you read one chapter of the Bible if you're a real good Christian in the morning and think, I'm good for the day. We need to have the Word of God in our lives as much. So what do you need to do? You need to walk around every day with the Word of God open, reading it all the time. Well, you could, but I don't recommend that. You're probably going to walk into a telephone pole. But in our culture today, you can have your life saturated with the Word of God without having to spend hours looking at a book. You know, I remember years ago, how many of y'all ever had the Alexander Scorby Bible on, on cassette tape? Because I had that on It was like a hundred cassettes that you had to have. You ever tried to keep a hundred cassettes organized in your car to listen to it while you're going down the road? And then you, you get them all mixed up and you got to rewind them all the time. And then they came out with CDs. That was only like 50 CDs. But you still had to fiddle with all those CDs. And you had the MP3s, which is a little bit better. You can have, there, you can have the audio Bible through Blue Letter Bible, through podcasts. You can have the Word of God read to you throughout the day. When you're, when you're driving down the road, instead of listening to talk radio, which is garbage anyway, listen to the Word of God. Sorry, Kenneth. Listen to the Word of God. Just, just put, the, put a podcast on, put a, get a, a download a Bible app that reads to you and just hit play and just allow the Word of God to saturate your life. When you're, you're cleaning your house, ladies or, or men, I clean our house a lot too. I, I do all the cooking in our house. When you're cooking, put in, you know what, if you put in your ear, you put on your earphones and listen to the word of God, here's a tip, you won't hear the kids screaming. So you won't want to kill them because you got your earbuds in. I remember we were on deputation. Connor, uh, and Connor was just a couple years old. Lexi was just a baby. Parker was, you know, he was like five or six. And uh, we would be going places. In April, she would, she would have earbuds in, and she'd be listening to a sermon or listening to a podcast or something. And I'd be driving, and the kids would be in the back. Lexi's screaming bloody murder because, I don't know, but that's just what Lexi did, sometimes still do. Connor and Parker are fighting with each other, and they're just they're driving me. And my, I'm white-knuckling this steering wheel. I'm finally yelling in April, deal with those kids! And she's like, oh, I didn't hear anything. I'm like, I need to get me some earbuds. And so I started, and they could, they could murder each other back there. And I didn't care. 
But I was fun. You, and it doesn't have just to be the Bible. Listen to sermons. Listen to godly music that, uh, that encourages you to read the Bible. But flood your life with the Word of God. Have it playing when you go to sleep. There's this, there's this app I have. You put on the Word of God, and it's, it's, uh, it'll play this like really soft kind of lullaby, nighttime music on you. And there's this guy. His name's Solomon. He's a South African dude. He reads the Word of God to you very softly and just puts you to sleep. As some Solomon's just reading me the word of God. And then when I start dozing off, then I put it on my white noise and listen to white noise because I'd rather have white noise than Solomon. No offense, Solomon. But you can, you can flood your life with the word of God. You need, to, you need to read it. You need to have time in the morning where you meditate on it, where you memorize it. Where you're, you're finding verses and saying, okay, I'm going to memorize that verse this week. And look, we can memorize stuff if we really want to. But flood your life. You put as much of the word of God into your spirit as you put food into your mouth. Make that the rule. Every time I eat, I'm going to have some word of God. Whether it's reading it, whether it's listening to it, whether it's having someone else read, whatever it is, whenever I eat, I'm going to have some word of God. God's word is a gift to his children. It shows us the redemptive story. It gives us principles for how God wants us to live, but it does more than that. It shows us the character of God. It shows us our sinfulness and where we fall short. It leads us to repentance and restoration with God, and it trains us to live with his power living through us. And it does all this to mature us in our relationship to him. But we have to use it. We have to study it. We have to saturate our lives with it. If we don't, we're going to struggle. 